The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. It's Tuesday at 1.30. No, I'm just kidding. It's like Thursday at midnight or whatever time these things come out. But when we're talking, it's Tuesday at 1.30. Oh. I have not I'm wondering if we can Panera. come up with a different introduction. Like for okay. two years, it's been hello and welcome. Can we do like hi and I guess you're here. Hi, I'm glad to see you. Why would you change something that works? I don't know. I mean, do we know that it works though? Do we know that yeah. it's working? Okay, fair enough. That's should we valid do a, point. Should we valid do a point. poll on our terrible at yep. ask off track Twitter? Yep. Well, our Twitter poll. Hello work. and welcome sounds good. I like I hello mean, and welcome. Yeah, but it's just. I mean, every week. It's it's both a greeting and then I feel welcomed. I feel comfortable. I there think you go. people would like something else. Like, hi. Surprised you're here. Sup? Yeah, sup. What are you doing here? Hey, are you lost? Yeah. <laughs> Did you accidentally? Track. Welcome to Off Track. Go f- yourself. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Off Track. Um, may we hope you get to the podcast you're actually looking for. Right. Is that who is it? Was it Jamie Little or Krista Voda or somebody started an Off Track? Yeah. Yeah. I forget who it was. No, no, no. It was uh, Jamie was Little, it? right? No. Was it, it Jamie was, Little? Uh, no, it was that Jamie uh, Howe, or no. Pretty sure it was Jamie Little. Is that reporter in England, I thought. In England? No. Yeah. No, no, it was somebody, no. it was someone was it? on the NASCAR oh. side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, if you were looking for that, we apologize. Yeah. Um, but if you are looking for that, you might be NASCAR fans. And if you're NASCAR fans, you should stick around because we've got a cool guest on today. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I mean, we can talk about NASCAR because we watched the we watched the road course race this week. We we did watch the road course race this week. Um, My boy Chris Bell well, for the win. Here's the thing: I am very glad that I don't bet on motorsports. Uh, I think what you mean to say is you're very glad that you were watching the race with me, the voice of reason. I'm very glad because I was like, okay, my boy Chase is going to have some Napa know how. <laughs> he Napa knows how to win road course Napa races four in a row. Road course races five in a row. He's a hundred percent gonna win. And for the majority of the race, that was like easy money. Um, but alas, he, except he did for not. the part that matters. Except right. For the so <laughs> I I talked him out of it because at first he was gonna bet on like he was gonna like spr- sprinkle it you know yeah, over a couple different guys. Yeah, yeah, and then we were just talking about Chase's record, and and then I was like, oh yeah, and, and he's starting on pole because of the new like algorithm qualifying that NASCAR's got, and uh, and Alex was like, wait, he's starting on pole, 
he should have won the Bush Clash or whatever it was called. He should have won the before. Daytona 500. I mean, really. Could have, could have won that. Could have, could have, yeah. Not super, not super related, relatable in this case. But he's like, I mean, Chase is 100% could win. He's like, what could possibly stop him from winning? And I was like, Alex, like so many things could stop him from winning. Like turn one, somebody could just get it wrong and day done. And so he went from like sprinkling it out to hammering 100% of his money on Chase. And I was like, I just don't think that's what you should do. And he's like, okay, fine, I won't. And he was really (laughs) angry with me until like halfway through stage three. And then it rained a little. I was like, all right. He's like, this is why. This is why. Oh, man. Oh, man. James, you need to move in so I can just run all these things by you. Just, I should should own the password to your... No, say so if I have the password to your FanDuel account. So basically, you've got to text mm. me and say, do this. And I'll be like, yeah, or no, and just won't plug it in. Okay. I'm just going to say, you guys should absolutely not move in together. I can, I can see that going, I, yeah, but now now there's now there's a wife in the mix. There's a Kelly in the mix. There's too many oh, no, dogs they're not invited. in the mix. Oh, okay. So Kelly yeah, and Becky yeah, yeah. would move into one house. No, and Tim, Tim, James and I have talked okay, at length. You about should the, do that. About the two of us just <laughs> leaving, leaving. living by ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the girls can be by themselves. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I take, it, I take back my objection. Yeah. You should yeah, yeah. absolutely do that. Who, who yeah. goes to no, which house? Uh, no, we go to like... Gotta get a new oh, place. We go west, I think, was the, next, <laughs> was the last thing we said. <laughs> It's a great point. It's a very solid Very good that Becky and Kelly don't listen to this. Oh, no, we said it in front of them. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) Yeah, we did say that in front of them. (laughs) Do not come to this show for relationship advice, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Um, But no, the NASCAR race was was, um, wildly entertaining, as I think all NASCAR road course races were. Mm -hmm. And um, big congrats to... um, What's his name? Chris Bell. Chris Bell. Crazy stat. His first truck win, his first Xfinity win, and his first cup win all came in the second race of his second year. Oh, weird. Okay. I mean, so. See, you should have bet on that. Clearly. (laughs) Imagine the payout on that. (laughs) That would have been a good one. That would have been been really good. Yeah, it would. Um, So, yeah, great race. Congrats to him. Always cool to see uh, a kid get a shot and and make good of it. And, um, and back-to-back first-time winners because the Xfinity winner on Saturday night was yep. Ty Gibbs, who was first time well, first time in an Xfinity race, and he right. won it, yeah. which was cool. So back-to-back winners. But I'm I'm a big Chris Chris Bell fan. I think that kid's massively talented, and uh, now that he's in the 20 car, I'm excited to see what he can do the rest of the year. It's not like not really known as a road course guy necessarily either. So the fact that he knocked out that first win there is kind of cool. So we'll see see how that goes. Yeah, we will. Well, while we're on the topic of NASCAR, um, we've got something cool for you guys. We have Jeff Lowell, who is the writer, creator, and executive producer of this new show on Netflix called The Crew. Um, If you don't know anything about it, it is the exact opposite of Talladega Nights. and actually (laughs) takes a dive into um, NASCAR racing and and what what it's like in current day to, to kind of be a crew member um, on a NASCAR team. So I think it's really cool. I enjoy talking to him and um, yeah, enjoy guys. Well, Hey guys, we are very, very excited for a very special guest joining us on off track with Hinch and Rossi today. Uh, Mr. Jeff Lowell is with us, who is the creator of the new show, the crew on Netflix. 
Now, we're a racing podcast, so we cover all forms of motorsports. Uh, obviously, we're IndyCar drivers, but we got a lot of friends in the NASCAR world. And uh, I'm not going to lie, when I first heard about this, I was very excited that there was going to be a NASCAR-based sitcom. So right off the bat, I just want to know, how did it all actually come to, like, come to be? Was it Netflix thought it'd be fun to do a racing show and approach NASCAR? Did NASCAR come to you guys and say, hey, we want to do something? What's the, you know... What's sure. the starting procedure for something like this? Um, NASCAR has a guy named Matt Summers, who is an executive producer on our show. And his sort of full-time job is figuring out movies and TV ways into NASCAR. You know, so so everything from guest spots on other shows to all that. He's just, you know, that's his gig. He's, he's based out of LA, unlike most of NASCAR. And he used to be in the more broad general film industry before that, so has all those contacts. And he, he, and I should say, one of the things people always say is, you know, why a sitcom? Why not a documentary like this or that? They're doing everything. His job is to do it all. But one of the things they wanted to do was a sitcom for a while. He worked with a guy named Todd Garner, who's also an executive producer. And Todd has also worked with Kevin. And Todd had also worked with me. So just one of those very incestuous Hollywood things where, you know, Todd said, what about Kevin in the NASCAR world? And NASCAR said, he feels like the perfect kind of person to be in our world. And Netflix said, all right, in theory, that sounds good, but what's the show? So that's when I came into it. And I just, you know, I'm a Kevin fan. I'm a NASCAR fan. It seemed to make sense demographically. So I just did a deep dive into what's going on in NASCAR to see if I could get some kind of a hook into the world. And you guys know this much better than I do, but there's a movement in, I'm sure all racing from crew chiefs used to be guys who built cars and raced as kids and were at the tracks and, and um, probably came up through more of the car side to the guys getting the jobs now are literal rocket scientists, you know, it's engineering degrees and it's, it's much more leaning into that side of it. And all the hires these days are people, you know, where'd they go? Is it MIT or Stanford? Sort of is the question. So I thought that's interesting to me. That's interesting. It's sort of this big shift um, away from experience to sort of applied, uh, applied knowledge in this sport. And I thought that's a great character for Kevin. He's a guy who grew up in the sport, loving it. He was a driver who got injured and got out of it. And, and he's reached this point where, there won't be another job for him. You know, the industry has just shifted too much and he doesn't have an engineering degree. He's great at his job, but this is sort of the last hurrah and he needs to sort of hold on to it and make it work. So once I had that, I just pitched it to NASCAR and to Kevin and to Netflix. They all thought that was sort of a great theme and a way into it, wrote a script and it was fairly easy from that point on. Everybody was enthusiastic and, you know, we all made changes like we do, but it it sort of went quickly into production. Well, I think it's it's amazing that you were able to pinpoint um, that kind of of evolution and and find that in the sport because I, that's not something that people think about when they first think of racing. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that still see it as this kind of old boy sport type of thing and and these souped up cars and and such. So it's it's very impressive that you were able to do that because I think that's completely accurate. I think we see that um, on the IndyCar side of things. Obviously, it's happening on the cup side, and, and it's something that relates back to, to normal life. So I think there's the, that relatability aspect, um, which, is, which is really important. So you talk about being a fan of NASCAR. Um, did, you, did you go to, to races? I mean, what did you already have kind of contacts at teams? How were you able to kind of 
infiltrate that system, if you will, to, to be able to, to see what, what you saw? Sure. I was, I was a casual fan. I mean, I was, you know, when there'd be a great storyline, I'd watch a race. I'd always watch Daytona. I'd always watch at the end of the year, you know, when the championships were on the line, you know, like, like a, a, a lot, many NASCAR fans are much more informed about it than I was, but I'd been to races and I loved the sport. So I was interested in that way. I knew that it was a great world. And then once uh, I sort of had come up with what I thought it should be, uh, NASCAR, who's our partner in this, just rolled out the access like you couldn't believe. I went to Charlotte for a couple of weeks and just followed team after team and just went in and said, treat me like I'm a child and I know nothing about it. Just walk me through your week from Monday morning, you get back from a race, you know, how, where does it, un, where do you unload the haulers? Where do you, and we walked through everything and I interviewed everybody. I interviewed office managers and drivers and crew chiefs and the people who handled the marketing and just really, you know, they, again, just took the tour of these facilities and sort of embedded myself. And mostly I was targeting one car, small teams, because that's what our show, that's the world it sort of lives in. But I certainly went and talked to some of the bigger places as well, just to get a view of how how it all worked but um just spent the time doing that and they you know everybody gave me their number and email address so we could all reach out you know when we got a little deeper into it um uh tony gibson the crew chief uh and kevin uh, uh our star you know struck up a friendship and hung out and he came and visited the set so we really just from the beginning tried to ask every question no no question was too dumb and 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 i've also hired you know again I'm, I'm learning all the time, but one of our writers is a guy who rides a motorcycle he built with his own hands and lives and dies by the sport. NASCAR reads all our outlines and scripts. So we, we did our research and at this point, we, we hopefully just run everything through the real experts to correct when, when we go astray. So you that's, say you, you, know, you, you sort of moonlighted with one of the teams or several of the teams. Are you allowed to share who you spent the most time with team-wise and who kind of gave you the lay of the land? Um, you know, Childress actually was sort of our host, um, who's one of the bigger teams. And then um, we went and spent time with a, a Petty's team. I got to talk to Bubba when he was driving for them. And we went to other, those are probably the two because they're in the same place, you know, in the same property. I spent most of my time with those two and then spent a couple of days with a couple other teams. But those were the ones who I probably drew the most from. Um, but yeah, no, again, it was, they just, they were incredibly generous with their time. And, and even though the characters, it's a comedy, there's some comedic exaggeration. I mean, I can draw a line from every, everything in the show, every one of our characters kind of came out of a conversation. You know, for example, uh, uh, Gibson told us um, that there are two kinds of drivers, the driver who you know, says, eh, there's something in the back and it just feels a little shaky when I do this and just code words that nobody would understand, just these guys who drive by feel. And then there are drivers who would tell you exactly what kind of wedge adjustment to make and the tires were doing this. And, and so that became the two drivers on our show. One's a guy who drives by feel and just sort of is able to communicate more, you know, by, by what he felt on the track. And then the, the young person coming at him is someone who knows how the cars run like the engineers and can sort of really dial it in exactly. So, but everything's like that. It all came out of those, those things. Was there one thing that like really uh, surprised you either positively or negatively about, about NASCAR racing in general, once you got to the in, inside of it? I, I probably should have known this watching the sport, but 
what surprised me the most was how much of the income of a team comes from the sponsors. You know, and depending on the team, it's anywhere from, I guess, a half to three quarters comes from the sponsors. But that's, that's, there's no other sport like that. You know, there's, you know, the Knicks are making their money off, you know, TV and, you know, I guess ticket sales help a little and all this, but they all have these deals that drive it much more than these sponsors. So you really enter a world where, you know, it was amazing to me that in the pit box that, that the sponsors could sit there while the guys are working one foot behind them. And that before the race, when the drivers were climbing into the cars and in my mind, I think these guys need to be getting in their headspace and be alone. They're taking selfies and signing pictures and doing it with the sponsors and just how much all that drove it was, was just, you know, was amazing to me. And it gave us storylines, you know, when you realize what an existential threat it is to a team, when you lose a hood sponsor, that became the beginning of our season is, is losing a hood sponsor and switching over and what that means and how to service them and what you have to do. So that, and, and even just stuff like I talked, I probably shouldn't name the driver, but I talked to one driver who um, had put up an Instagram post at, at, he was at a wedding, they were sitting on a beach and he was smoking a cigar with his buddies one of their sponsors was a breathing aid product and it became a thing, you know, all of a sudden it seems like the most innocent thing in the world, but you see how it sort of unwinds. So I'm like, great. So took that and that's, we're turning that into something right now for, for, for the second season. I mean, you know, every, that, that was the thing that was surprising how, how much it's driven by that and how much service of the sponsors you have to do. It's it's funny. It's great that uh, it's great that you picked up on that because we talked about this on the show, you know, before um, that that element of as drivers having to sort of still be the spokesperson right up to the minute you strap into the race car. And, you know, one one comparison we drew once was uh, I spoke to a reporter who also covered Super Bowls. And so I said, all right, we got any 500. That's kind of our Super Bowl. So I say, you're you're chatting to us on the grid. We're signing autographs, taking selfies five minutes before we go 230 miles an hour into turn one. I said, what's the what's the closest to kickoff? You could talk to Tom Brady Super Bowl week. And the answer was Thursday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's a it's a very different dynamic for us. So it's I'm, I'm glad that you sort of spotted that. And, yeah. and can I highlight that a little bit? Yeah. Um, it's, and it's fun. It gives us and I mean, you know, hope hopefully we get a second season. We won't know for a couple of weeks. Obviously we just premiered a week ago and they're looking at the numbers, but we're already working and breaking in anticipation. And we've got a bunch of storylines, um, including, you know, I want to have them lose a hood sponsor again and go a few weeks without one. Um, a fascinating thing is during the last season, we, you know, uh, uh, Spire is, is a team that doesn't have somebody that, you know, that sponsors them every week and they're willing to sort of work with different people. So we were able to wrap a car in the fake product that sponsors our team and our show and race into races. So we got the footage of our fake state car driving around a real track and racing against people. And, and it's just something that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. And it's just, you know, you can't, you know, take the 49ers and one week they're the, you know, they're the big max and out there racing, but you just, you know, it's that relationship is, is so rich for, for, you know, for comedy and for, you know, for reality. It's crazy how much of a sport or sorry, how much of a business our sport is like that. I mean, that's just what, what dominates everyone's decision-making. And at the end of the day, you as a racing driver, you know, the, the driving part of it's really secondary to, to a lot of the things that you do. So um, I'm curious. So, so I've, I've admittedly only watched, I think the first two episodes, okay. um, but I saw Ryan Blaney 
kind of made an appearance. Yep. Um, Austin Dillon. Uh, good for him. Um, I'm surprised <laughs> Roger was okay with that. But <laughs> I'm curious, how, how are the drivers like to, to work with? Like, is it hard for them to, to be behind camera and act? Or was it pretty natural and, and straightforward? Or um, You know, I, I mentioned Matt Summers, who's our <clears throat> NASCAR, one of our NASCAR executive producers. Because of what he does, he's worked with a lot of these guys doing cameos and parts and stuff. And so he probably steered us to the people who were more comfortable doing it and who were, you know, who were the, the best actors. Um, so we never had a problem. It's, you know, you guys know this, again, better than I do. You're in front of cameras a lot. You know, you have microphones in your face and you're talking and it's not some weird alien thing, you know, and, and you know, a lot of drivers have done ads and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, we were steered towards the right people and I don't think anyone in the job is, is probably has too much stage fright. And they were playing themselves. And also Kevin James is just, he's a good hang. He's a good guy. He's fun. He's fun <laughs> to be around. You know, he puts people at ease. And what we as writers would do is, you know, we have Blaney or Dylan or we had Cole Custer and we write 20 jokes for every one that goes in there. And so every take we'd throw in a different insult that he would tell at them. And, you know, and in the first few they'd crack up, but then you relax and you get into it and they got into it and then they're coming up with new stuff. And then it was just, it was just fun sort of going at each other. It was, uh, uh, I think they were all really getting along, which, which hopefully came across. Is, I mean, they, they came across really well, I thought, I mean, Blady was was weirdly natural in yeah. in the role, I guess, of Ryan Blady. <laughs> but still, you know, um, is that is that an element that you guys want to do more of in season two and try to get more drivers involved, and more you know different drivers? And you know, I think back to like watching the league and how many football players they had come on the show. Is yeah. that kind of the idea? Well, this is you know, look, COVID hit everybody, and it's been a weird, horrible year for all of us. You know, and and our problems don't stack up to the world's in any way. But one of the things that in the design of the show from the beginning is I said, I'm going to write one scene a week that's going to take place at a track. And, you know, it's going to be, we're going to be out in the RVs and we're going to be up in the stands and we're going to be in the garages and shoot stuff and make it really obvious we're there. And so we'd planned that the last week of our season after we'd done the episodes is we would then go out. We were going to go to Richmond and just spend the whole week there and just shoot it out. And also we had more cameos, you know, planned. Um, they were going to NASCAR was going to let uh, our fake driver come out during the driver introduction. So we would have that footage, you know, get the get them in the line waiting to go out and shoot stuff. And we talked to a whole bunch of people. And and that's when when the world shut down, that shut down. And obviously, even though NASCAR was the first sport back up, there was no world where they were going to let 50, you know, crew people come into a race when family members weren't allowed there and, and teammates right. weren't allowed. So we sort of had to scramble and built those sets on our soundstage and and sort of rewrote and did around it. But yes, we will have more cameos in the future because it seems like the world is slowly coming back around. And um, and yeah, you mentioned Blaney. He's he's very funny. He's very good. I, we've we've got a storyline brewing that's going to involve him a little more in the show. If we can steal his time and figure out a way to do it. Um, there's, I, I won't spoil anything, but, um, I love that he and Kevin are always yelling at each other and I've got a whole thing planned. Please tell me the mustache was fake, right? The mustache was, was fake one time oh, in real no. one time. He had the mustache in the office <laughs> and I guess you just can't have it while you're driving with the helmet. Yeah, not, so, not for Roger Penske. You can't. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> so when he first showed up, he had that mustache and then he came back and did another episode and he had to shave it. So we had to, one of the times it's fake. One of the times it's real. You won't be able to tell. We got, we got a good, uh, got a good makeup. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's hard not to ignore when you think about racing entertainment, it's hard not to ignore Talladega nights, right? So sure. your, your show obviously takes a very different angle. Um, and it's not meant to be making fun of the sport or the fans, um, or the drivers, I guess, but is a it, bit of is the drivers, a, but it's okay. They, you can make fun a, of them a little bit, <laughs> a little bit less. but is, is there a conscious effort to kind of stay away from, from the humor that, you know, obviously a lot of people responded really well to. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's, Certainly the first conversation I had with NASCAR, that movie came up and, and we, we talked about it a lot. I'm a fan of the movie. I thought it was hilarious. Um, but it's, it's, you know, we're not going to have a scene where a guy wins a race driving backwards around the track. You know, it's, it's that part of it. I just totally wasn't what we were going for. And I think the biggest thing, I, you know, I don't want to speak for NASCAR, but I think there's a love-hate thing about that movie because it's funny and it brought fans in, but it also, it, it didn't paint the fans in a great light. You know, it was the one of the first shots, I think, are the Confederate fat flags, you know, waving in the stands and going around. And, and what I found when I went to the races, because I was really sensitive to it, I'm like, all right, what's the real experience is I didn't see anyone engaged in any kind of politics or anything while they were there. They weren't wearing, you know, sweatshirts with their with their uh, favorite candidate, they were, they were wearing their team, you know, the driver they were cheering for. You know, as, as I went to that world, it seemed like a place where people were happy to sort of leave the outside world outside and come there and enjoy a race. And they were just all really educated, enthusiastic fans of the sport. So I, I, we just took a more realistic approach, which is that a lot of people love NASCAR. They love the racing and it's not some, you know, it's not as, as, as it used to be portrayed and, and certainly Talladega Nights leaned into that a little bit for humor. Um, so it, in, in making it more real, we, we probably avoided some of the stuff that NASCAR didn't love about that movie. I still think Talladega Nights is a better representation of NASCAR than Driven is of IndyCar. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is very true. You guys don't pick up quarters with your tires? No, we use pennies. No. Yeah, yeah. Much smaller times. <laughs> Much harder to hit than a quarter. That's so big. Uh, so uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of racing questions and topics. I got something more kind of in the in the film side. So sure. uh, my wife and I are big movie buffs, big film buffs, uh, TV buffs. She's she's an actress and um, was actually on a sitcom back in Canada for a while, and we love the sitcom setup. And with with COVID and, and quarantine and everything, everyone's been locked at home. They've all been binging Netflix uncontrollably. And there hasn't been a lot of sitcoms coming out of it. It's all scripted dramas. It's all things like that. Yep. And the, the first 10 minutes of the first episode of The Crew, it like took us a second to sort of re-clock our, our, our viewing pleasure, our viewing experience to it, to understand that, oh no, we're watching a sitcom. This is, this is how you're, you're supposed to overact a little bit. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. Sure. So what was the, I, I guess, why angle towards the, the sitcom multicam style and not something a little more, you know, production based? Sure. Uh, I've, I've done both styles. I, all I've ever done my whole career is comedy. I've done features, TV, everything. And I've done both styles. The The last show I created that was on the air was a single camera with no audience and no laughter. You know, I, I love them both. I really do. Um, so to me, it's more, you know, idea by idea and actor by actor, what's right for the right format. 
I'd done, I'd been on The Ranch, which was a Netflix multi-cam sitcom for four years. And there's a hunger. There certainly are people who have the reaction you're talking about. We're like, oh, I did this show. I, this isn't what's on TV now. But but um, there's also a lot of people who like tuning into a comedy and sort of sitting back and enjoying it. And it's it's so odd. I see, you know, most reviews, you know, most of the people talking about it have been great. And but there are definitely people who are like, oh, the laughters feel so 80s. The biggest shows of the past 10 years have been Chuck Lorre sitcoms. I mean, I worked on Two and a Half right. Men and Big Bang Theory yeah. is huge. There, it's definitely, it's. I don't think it's a format that feels dated to me because there are still huge shows and there are audiences for them and people who want to see that. So uh, the decision on this one was the ranch was successful. The ranch was over. It, you know, the ranch, one of the things that was great about it is that it was a show that wasn't just a coastal you know, sort of niche show. It was something that people across America could enjoy. So I think there's a decision on my part and Netflix's part, like, let's try to serve that audience. Let's try to give them a world where um, that people, you know, not just in New York and LA, you know, will will uh, tune into it. But, you know, that's Netflix's philosophy is they, I think they try to provide programming, you know, uh, across the spectrum. So I think there was a need there. And then beyond all of that, Kevin James is really good at it. You know, Kevin James right. is good at comedy. He's he's I've just grown to love the guy working with him. But um, him in front of an audience is amazing when, you know, he he knows how to get the laughs. He knows how to when there's a laugh, you know, people who aren't great at it sort of are just waiting for the laugh to end. He's reacting and keeping it alive and playing the other actors. And he's a master of the format in a really tough format to do. So to me, it would feel like a waste opportunity not to. So probably a little bit of talking into on my part, you know, because he did King of Queens. He did 250 right. episodes of a hugely successful one. But I, I think this was different enough because he's not the husband. He's in an ensemble office workplace comedy that he hasn't done. So um, so we sort of met in the middle. We're, we're ensemble. And as you saw, there are some scenes in it that we are shooting. We're going outside and we're, we're moving around. Yeah. It's not just a, a real static set. So we kind of did a hybrid of the two, but, um, but we won the argument of getting an audience there. And I love it. I mean, those are, that is our audience laughing. That is not us cheating and creating it and all that kind of stuff. So that's a very long answer, probably a little defensive on my part because I hate people who um, are picking on our show for the laughter. It's real. Those are our audience. No. And so, I, I love it. I, I've missed sitcoms, so it's been it's been great. And I think so I've, does, I've drunkenly argued or, or talked to Alex here about uh, multicams in the audience. I think like the last show to have actually canned laughter, fake laughter, was probably Mash. Right? It's like you have a real audience. You yeah. know, there there are people there that are actually laughing. How do you do How that? Is the real COVID? audience worth? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Good yeah. Show. Even even How I Met Your Mother, um, which had laughs in it they filmed that whole thing without an audience there because it was a very fast paced, quick cut show. They filmed the whole thing without an audience, but, but then they would bring in an audience and play the episode for them and record their laughs and use those. I mean, there aren't, I, I can't think of a show that sits there and presses the button and gets the fake stuff. Like our show, we shoot half of it on Thursday and half of it in front of an audience on Friday. So the stuff we shoot on Thursday, that are the scenes that you couldn't do in front of an audience because they're outside or in a car or something. Then we edit them together and we play them for the audience and we record their reaction. And that's the laughs that you hear in it. So there aren't many people who, uh, you know, who, who, who cheat and just do something and use a laugh machine. I, I I'm with you. I mash is the only example I can think of because it's so much better to get the real reaction. 
That's cool. So it doesn't really, it, the, the COVID aspect of it doesn't play as big of a role. I mean, well, it does. COVID, yeah, COVID, COVID hurt us. We had seven done. We did seven in front of an audience and we had three left when we got shut down. We came back six months later and that was a big problem. You know, we'd shot the first of it in front of an audience. We had our style and tone. So what we did is we took all of our crew members and extras who weren't in the scene and all that kind of stuff. And we cleared out our stand. So they were all sort of safely distanced from each other and we did it for them and used them. And now to be perfectly honest, you know, 50 people laughing doesn't sound the same as 200. So we definitely went and used some of our audience laughs from before to sort of hit the spots, but everything is, you know, it's the other thing that's cool about my cam is as a writer, learn what works and doesn't work. You know, you put it up in front of an audience all week. You think it's going to be great. If they laugh, great. If they don't, you're like, that joke doesn't work. I mean, they really, they're testing the show as they're watching it. So we'll rewrite on stage. I mean, after the first take, we all run in and scramble and change the jokes and, and try to get the laugh and we'll keep doing it till we get something right. Or we'll cut it if we, if we are just at a spot where we're not getting something great. So, so we, the audience is an incredibly important diagnostic tool to us. It's like Tim in real life, you know, when he doesn't get a joke right and we don't laugh, you know, he just keeps trying. And Spirals trying. and depression, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need a staff of writers behind you writing your stuff. <laughs> okay, so let's say, I mean, we're, I'm just going to say that season two happens, knock on wood. Uh, that all comes good news in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm assuming some somewhere in the cards is going to be like an, an IndyCar NASCAR mashup episode. Like a, where like maybe a, a couple IndyCar, like a couple IndyCar better, drivers yeah. maybe show up at the pit stop <laughs> for for lunch, you know, and, and steal the last roll of wings or something. It, it feels like there's no way we can't now. If only I knew yeah, a couple of guys to. who could do it. You, you, you might know, I, <laughs> I know a guy. I'll, I'll send you some names. I'll send you some names. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, can we, I mean, on, on that note, I mean, have you been to an IndyCar race? Could we get you out to an IndyCar race? Is that something I'd, that I'd love to, I have not in yeah. years and years and years. I mean, I literally, as a teenager, one of my friend's dads was a nut and we went to a race. Um, but it's been just because of where I've lived and who I've been around. It's been all NASCAR since then, but in a second, I would go once the world returns to normal, I will come out. We will, uh, I, I would love to see it. We would love to have you, man. That, that would be yeah. awesome. It'd be great. Um, I do have one small uh, beef, if I'm honest. Okay. Yep. Um, Binge the show. Love the show. And about, I don't know, episode four or five, uh, I was watching and Kevin was wearing this awesome, like, neon sign font Jake Martin hat. And there's a shirt. And I'm like, there's no way they're not selling this stuff. And I scoured the internet and there was no merch. There's no Jake Martin merch on the internet. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you've lost sales, sir, because <laughs> I was trying to throw my money at you. Uh, it, it feels like a real missed opportunity. I, I wish we'd been smarter. No, those were uh, those were all custom made for the episodes. I've got I've got hats for all our sponsors and for the team. And they're the coolest things. They're old vintage looking stuff. And I feel very special when I wear them. But yes. We should be selling them. And, and I just, hopefully some enterprising person is out there on Etsy right now ripping us off and making money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm about to. I'm about to if you don't, because I want that hat James really bad. James is a big Etsy guy. Yeah. I'm a big, <laughs> yeah, big crafty guy. I will visit right. your Etsy shop. Here's the, here's the pressure question. Who is Jake most based on? What driver did you meet that you're like, all right. You know, it, it, did it's, you meet Will Power? 
<laughs> he, it's it's funny that that's this conversation came up on um on reddit on the nascar thing and one guy said oh that's so exaggerated there you know there are no drivers that are dumb and and some names were thrown out and people are like all right well i backed off my question i'm not naming names um i did not meet and everybody i met and talked to was more knowledgeable than our driver is some of it is comedic exaggeration but i will say talking to crew chiefs they they would describe situations where where a guy, you know, a guy, uh, again, wasn't able to sort of articulate in any kind of a logical way, but just had, you know, and, and that's, that's sort of what we did. It's an exaggeration. And, and you binge it, you've seen it all. He could, I think, I think Jake is somebody with an emotional IQ. I think that he's somebody <laughs> who's very, very sweet. And, and at the end, you sort of see him step up to one of the characters and sort of point yeah. out the problems in their life and in a, in a way that's actually kind of insightful and cool. Um, so yeah. He's street smart. Yes. Guilty, guilty as charged. There definitely are a yeah. few moments where he probably is a little dumber than any driver out there driving. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if he's... I'm a sucker for laughs. I'm a, I, I will admit a couple times, but like, is that too dumb? I'm like, I don't know. I'm laughing. Let's try it. So, but I'm not going think... the names. I bet you could guess a couple of names that were floated up yeah. or go find the thread and go like, all right, yeah. We uh, we were watching and and Becky, my wife, she's like, man, I wish the uh, you know I think they made the driver like a little too dumb. And then I looked at her and she looked at me. And she's like, no, actually, no, that's that's for the for the comedic element. That's right about that's right about on par. <laughs> <laughs> and her, I can say that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you you really can. Yes, the, you, you, <laughs> you can say it in a way that I can't. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Jeff, we we have to uh, we have to ask you this question. We ask all of our guests um, this kind of this racing related question. What is the fastest you've ever driven? Um, um, I had a when I made got my first very good sitcom job and was young and did not have children yet. I bought myself a a a Porsche. And going from um, LA where I lived to Vegas, I got it at about 180. So that is the wow, that is the nice. that I have done. And I did not do it for long, but supposedly the top speed was I think 184 on it. I'm like, let's see, let's see if they were getting. The, uh, yeah, and I got that, it. Up. I, think might, I think that's that a might be for the, the best show. answer. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that is. How does yeah. everybody not go out and mash down the gas and put it in sixth gear and see what it'll do? Come on. I mean, well, I think the, the they, just don't have the, the they don't have the balls to the keep show. it down all the way to 180. <laughs> no, I mean, what's crazy is the last guest we had on the show is a multiple time Daytona 24 hour winner. And I think he said the fastest he's ever driven is 80. Yeah, because, yeah maybe 90, maybe, maybe 90, which is just weird. I, I don't it was that doesn't make sense. I mean, well, so, wait a minute outside the racetrack, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> but like again, we did LA to Vegas a lot, my wife and I, and there's a lot of really flat, wide open, empty yes, spaces and boy, there's it was very rarely under 100. I mean, you can really see what's coming up. So, um Not a lot of people idle by Zizix Road. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Once you pass that big thermometer and was that Barstow? Yeah. You got, you got some smooth sailing. <laughs> Well, that's the place to do it. Well, hey, Jeff, uh, on behalf of Alex and myself, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we're big fans of the crew. If you haven't seen it yet, get on Netflix, watch it, binge it. And uh, we, we eagerly 
uh, await the news that has been picked up for a second season because we can't wait to watch it. Right. And be on it. In all sincerity. Yeah, be on it. Yeah. You guys hiring writers? What's up? Yeah. yeah we'll, uh, I'd love to come out and see a race. And if any of you find yourself out in New York, if we do a second season, we'll start filming probably in June, July ish. Stop by, hang out, see the set, do that kind of stuff. So um, let's stay in touch. Sounds good. Right on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Talk soon. So I think that definitely means we're going to be on a television show. Uh, I like that you guys, you kept yeah. the part where I said to pitch yourselves and then yeah. didn't do the part where I said to pitch me, which was the entire reason I wanted to have him on this show. No, nope. I'm pretty sure you're not an IndyCar driver, <laughs> so why would you be on the show? And, and the I, last right? thing... The last thing that oh, a writer I totally wants forgot about another that. writer. They True. have a room of writers. It's it's called a writer's room. Yeah, mm. but they, per, they, no. they they specifically pick people they know are less funny than them, so that way they're still like the king of the room. Isn't Don't that give how that works? Compliment, James. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That, no, that is a, that, yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Sorry, that didn't work. Sorry. What I, mean, what I meant to say was they try to pick the best comedic writers they could possibly find to and make the best have. possible show. Yeah. And it's it's full. The room's Look, full. I take it as a compliment. You guys were just worried that if you pitched me too well and I got hired to write on season two of The Crew, I wouldn't have time to podcast with you. And no, I think we should have done that because if you were one of the writers, you could have written us into an episode. <laughs> <laughs> we may have we may have dropped the ball on that. Jeff, if you're listening, think, I'll send my scripts your way. <laughs> at the end of the day, I just really want some Jake Martin merchandise. Yeah, I, just want I think that that's the takeaway. Yeah. So as long as we get right, that, gonna, as long as we get Jeff out to it in the, the day, car race, as long as we get Becky a cameo or, or a recurring role on seasons two through ten, we're good. And I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate meeting the new team principal, whatever her name is, <laughs> <laughs> Catherine. Catherine, Cat from Stanford. And on that bombshell, I say we call this one an episode. Uh, big thanks to Jeff Lowell and, uh, and Sophia from Netflix for setting up that interview. Uh, to definitely tune in and watch the show if you haven't, guys. It's pretty funny. And we will see you next week where we will have another really cool guest on the show. I'm just kidding. Much better introduction. We have not planned that at all. Oh, guys, I forgot to mention real quick before we go. I think tomorrow night... So last night, depending on how you want to look at this, we're the um, um, we're the sponsor of an iRace. race. We're the sponsor Again? of the iRace, race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how much are we getting paid for this? Oh, we don't, sponsors pay to be the the title sponsor. How much right? is Tim so, paying for? This? Yeah. Well, it checks. I mean, invoice is on its way, Tim. So if you could just sure, take care of that yeah. when it shows up, that'd be we great. We have money. That's fine. <laughs> We have tons of it. <laughs> What's the money? Thanks so much for listening to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. Keep in contact with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is at AskOffTrack. Or you can follow us individually. We're at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. If you want to follow Thim, though we have no idea why you would, he's at the Tim Durham. We really need to get that changed to at producer Thim. The music you heard today is by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is produced by Tim Durham. And by that I mean Finn.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.